Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, you are listening to this on Sunday, July the 9th, 2023, for the first time, and it's rebroadcasting on Monday, July the 10th at 11 a.m. We're recording it on Saturday, July the 8th. My name is Jasmine, and this week I'm here with Alyssa and Reese. How are y'all doing? Hey. Hey. We showed up again, so it must be okay in the world. The world is not okay. <laughs> I know, right? I was about to say, that's my answer, and I'm sticking with it. Yeah, I'm going to just get ahead of it now, and I just for the record, I was supposed to be the person to find like a positive story at the end. Did I do that? No. I completely forgot, so most of the hour is going to be... I guess, you know, some heavy stuff, but we might get to something good at at the end. We might have some light at the end of the tunnel. So <laughs> let's hope we, we come through with something for y'all. Um, for our local news story, we'll be talking about a judge um, blocking for now a minimum wage increase for delivery drivers. For national news, I'll be talking about uh, an alarmingly high percentage of... Um, tap water in the U.S. having forever chemicals in it. For world news, we'll be discussing a deadly gas leak in South Africa. And for good news, it will be a surprise. We'll see what it is. So stay tuned for that. Um, For our local news, we're going to kick it to Alyssa. All right. Um, So hi, everyone. Uh, This story is from... The publication The City, and it was published on July 7th, um, I guess the reporting of the story, and reported by Claudia Irizarry Aponte. Um, And it's essentially um, talking about uh, a recent landmark minimum wage law that was supposed to take effect in like a few days on July 12th. Essentially, um, the, the law would have made it uh, required the like the four app-based delivery companies, so DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber, and Relay, to begin paying their delivery workers seventeen dollars and ninety-six cents per hour, which would it's landmark because it would be a landmark law because um, New York would be the first major U.S. city to implement pay requirements for their delivery workers, um, but. Um, Apparently, um, all four of those companies basically filed a suit to stop the new law from taking effect, and a Manhattan Supreme Court judge um, sided with them and basically stopped the rollout of the law. And so, some of some of kind of what the companies or like spokespeople from the companies have been saying is essentially that they think that the like, I guess, raising the minimum wage or raising the hourly wage for these workers would actually harm their businesses and also harm consumers and local businesses who use those companies. Um, Because they're, uh, they are essentially 
calling the process like a broken process. So that's why they filed that suit to kind of stop the law from passing. Um, And they are claiming bias. Um, So they're, again, like not saying that, or according to them, not saying that they're opposing boosting workers' wages, but just that it's going to add additional costs to consumers and potentially drive away business. So that's kind of where they're coming from. Um, And apparently this, uh, the whole, uh, I guess like the initial process to kind of get this law passed was actually um, part of like a three-year campaign by a group um, who are like delivery worker advocates called um, Los Deliver- Deliveristas Unidos. Um, so they kind of work to, um, or they have been working to kind of advocate for increasing um, the minimum wage for, or the hour- the hourly wages for delivery workers. So this is, you know, definitely like a kind of blow to the work that they've been doing this entire time. Um Another thing that uh, the company, so those four companies, DoorDash, um, what were them? DoorDash, hold on, Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber, and Relay. Um, They're also claiming that the law would strip workers of their flexibility to choose when and how to pick up orders because um, the law would allow companies or would require companies to pay people hourly instead of per trip. Um, however, um, the the actual uh, so the Department of Consumer and Worker Protections they're saying that it actually does it actually allows companies flexibility because you don't have to you can actually choose if you want to pay workers an hourly wage or if you want to do a per delivery r- rate which is broken down by the minute. Um, so. So right now it seems like, you know, everything is kind of on pause and um, I think it's like a big disappointment essentially to the people who've been advocating for this because the companies are, because the judge essentially sided with the companies rather than siding, you know, like siding with the workers and the advocates that have been doing this work for so long. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting because um, I feel like it's definitely something that I that I feel like I've it I guess like the gig worker economy type of model seems very unsustainable. Um, so it would have been I hope that they can kind of resolve it and you know hopefully they're able to get kind of a, an increase in their hourly wages. I think right now um, they get, it's like an $11 an hour hourly rate wage. And I think the minimum wage in New York city is $15 per hour. So this would, would have been like kind of slightly above what the minimum wage is and then eventually kind of increase like over time. But yeah. What do you all think? I think it's it's a shame and it's sad that it's being blocked because even what the increase is, that's still way below like what's livable, especially in New York City. Um, so yeah, I think it, it sucks. And I, I think you're right about the gig economy not being sustainable. Like it's almost, you know how sometimes when people talk about raising the minimum wage at different jobs and they'll make comments about like, 
oh, those aren't real jobs. Or like, there's this assumption that people do that on top of doing something else, or they're just teenagers doing it for the, their side money. And it's like, nah, like the way things are now, so many things that used to be a regular job are being they're less they're harder and harder to find and they're being like converted into these type of gig things so that these companies don't have to give you benefits or they don't have to pay you a certain amount of money so i hope it's on it's on pause now but i hope it's overturned or whatever or put it back into place because that's shamefully low and it's not an easy job at all yeah it was I think like in the article um some like one of the workers or like one of the people who've been advocating for the workers had mentioned that it's also just kind of wild that they're doing it now or or just that it came to pass like now when there's this extreme heat happening in the city right now so like there are these workers like out there in the heat and I remember like when Whenever there is these like um, flooding and stuff happening in New York, um, you'll see like delivery workers like having to kind of go through all of that to deliver food to people and all that. So it is like a tough job a lot of times. Um, so it, I, I mean, I hope that like hopefully it'll get the ill pass and they can get like more con- compensation for that. Yeah, I think that this is awful that anybody would block it. I mean, who would block? something like this is really interesting people probably who have never had to do this type of work who's probably never worked in the service industry or don't remember when they did um because the reality is that this is a part of the way that we live now um and it is it should be respected right i mean it took a whole pandemic for people to even coin the term essential workers but the reality is that this is part of life for us in in the 2023 world is gig economy, delivery services. You can get anything at the drop of a dime. And people are out here trying to make it work by any means necessary. I know people who survive off of that out here. And they literally drive every single day from this hour to this hour, you know, um, trying to just make the rent. And that's because, you know, they can't find jobs in other industries. Maybe they are in entertainment. And sometimes in between gigs, you know, it takes time to build money up. And so I don't think it's fair that anybody is blocked from being able to um, excel within their job, especially if it's something that they've had to do for so long. But especially in a city like New York, where, you know, it's one of those cities that everything is on demand. You would think that something like this would be taken to the next level way before now, because the reality is, like I just said, being able to get whatever you need whenever you want it, you know, comes at a cost. Everything else has an extra tax, the 2023 taxes, as like I like to call it. Everything else in this world has a 2023 tax right now. So why wouldn't these people be accommodated for this hard work they're doing? And many times, people who work these jobs, they're not offered benefits. So if they get hurt, if their you know their vehicle stops working, anything like that, they get robbed. Yeah, they can get robbed. Like there's a lot of danger in this job, and just like insecurity as a whole. So having a deep, more decent wage is only fair because that, like I said, that's part of the way we live. Yeah. And I don't know if y'all, cause there's been a few like associated stories with, um, Los Deliveristas and, um, different issues with, 
um, delivery workers, right? Like um, them being able to have like stations where they can like rest and take breaks and stuff. And something like that was blocked recently uptown. Like people were like, they don't want it there. Um, they recently got the right to be able to like use the bathroom yeah. in some of the businesses where they're delivering from. You know, it's really. And, you know, I, I don't know if people are assuming everyone who uses those services tips or tips generously. That's not mm -hmm. the case. And if yeah. they do, a lot of those um, companies are taking that money. They're not seeing it in the check. Yeah, because so, a lot of the tipping happens through the apps and yeah. knows, like, how much is actually going to the worker. Yeah, it's real because, you know, like the people at the top, they're making money like I, the money is coming. It's it's there. It's not, you know, so I think it's a cop out to automatically be like, oh, if we pay them a living wage, then everyone will have to pay more. Like, I just don't really believe that. But I also am like everyone should be getting paid more so that they have more money to spend. You know what I'm saying? It's. Yeah. It's almost like they act like the people doing the jobs also do not consume different services. You know, it's like they can't do a lot of stuff because of how little they're being paid, you know? It really is. And, you know, it's not even just all about just getting, you know, food on a nightly basis. There are people who have mobility issues that depend on Instacart, that have children, that can't go out to the grocery stores to do all of this stuff. Um, and anytime I've ever used a service, because, you know, um, for whatever reason that you need to use it for, I'm always mindful of leaving a tip, you know, even if it's not the best tip or whatever, I do the best I can at that moment because the reality is you're helping me. You're helping me not have to deal with whatever elements, whatever situation I'm in. So, you know, people are really human beings. I think there's um, something to consider is like one of those, you know, they make a big clause about no one else can be in the car with you if you're doing like Instacart or something like that. People have whole families and small children who have to, you know, do this sort of stuff. What difference does it make if they, their kids got to ride around with them? If that's, you know, stuff like that, that people don't consider because daycare costs an arm and a leg. So, you know, it just, it's just not fair to people who have to work so hard and, and not have an opportunity to get an increase when they really need it. Los Deliveristas Unidos does have a Facebook page. It's mostly in Spanish. It's facebook.com forward slash D-E-L-I-V-E-R-I-S-T-A-S-U-N-I-D-O-S forward slash. Their Instagram is L-O-S-D-E-L-I-V-E-R-I-S-T-A-S-U-N-I-D-O-S underscore N-Y. Uh, and there's a link tree for the Workers' Justice Fund uh, where you can help to support um, New York City-based delivery workers and other immigrant workers. Uh, the link to that is bit.ly forward slash workers justice fund, all one word. So, you know, hopefully this isn't the end of the road for them, but you know, they, everybody, all there's, you know, dignity and all labor and people deserve to get paid a living wage, whatever it is that they're doing. You know, you shouldn't have to be a boss or whatever, just to be able to survive off the money that you make. So I hope it turns around. That's a good hashtag dignity and all labor. I like that. Yeah. I don't know who said, I, oh, don't, I didn't say that first. <laughs> uh, that's a quote from somebody. I'll, figure out who 
I think it was MLK like 50 years ago on March 18th, 1968. Oh, that's more than 50 years. MLK delivered his speech, All Labor Has Dignity. And it was um, a speech that he gave at a church um, when he was supporting the sanitation workers on strike and their supporters. So yeah, you know, new decade, but same struggle, you know, a lot of work that's undervalued, but without it, we would be in a lot of trouble, like as a society. So you got to pay these, pay the people. All right. So you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, we'll be right back after our first musical break. This song is Dreaming by Blondie. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for the national news, uh, this information comes from two separate NPR articles. Uh, One was written July the 6th by Rachel Treisman, so just the other day. 
The other was written June 23rd, 2022. Uh, so the article from last year, the title is PFAS or Forever Chemicals Are Everywhere. Here's what you should know about them. Um, and the other article, the more recent one is Forever Chemicals Could Be Found in, and I'm not going to give away how much, of U.S. tap water, a federal study finds. So I'm going to ask y'all, do you know what forever chemicals are or have you heard of them? No, I feel like I, I saw a story recently, probably this one, at least a headline, but I don't know what they are. No. Yes, I don't know exactly what the chemicals are, but I'm very familiar with it, um, probably because of living in multiple cities and having to realize like what the water situation is in each one of them. Mm-hmm. So... I'm a little bit more familiar with it than not. How much of U.S. tap water as a percentage do you think the study found uh, has forever chemicals in it? I'm going to say 60%. 660? Yep. Yeah, I was going to say around the same, like 60, 70%. Okay. Well, <laughs> the more recent article says in nearly half of U.S. tap water. So further down, it says at least 45% of the nation's tap water. Um, So I'm going to read off. um, These are just some bullet points from both of these articles. So PFAS, PFAS, or the Forever Chemicals, that acronym is short for per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. So PFAS, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Oh, well. They're a class of thousands of man-made chemicals, and they've been around since the 40s. They're called forever chemicals because they do not break down. So they don't, they're not biodegradable like something that's more natural. Um, manufacturers use these chemicals to make things be resistant to oil, heat, stain, or water. And you can find them in everything from cosmetics, outdoor gear, nonstick pans, food wrappers, and many other things. The Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry says exposure to these chemicals can lead to higher risk for kidney or testicular cancer, increased cholesterol, damage to the liver and immune system. Uh, There's also a study in the journal Hypertension, which found that these chemicals can lead to high blood pressure in middle-aged women. Uh, So the more recent study that came out, um, it was done by the U.S. Geological Survey, found that at least 45% of the country's tap water could be contaminated with at least one form of these chemicals. Some of the other effects can be uh, an increase in obesity, high cholesterol, decreased fertility, and developmental effects like low birth weight in babies. So this is something I thought was, it sounded on the surface like a good thing, but then I read a little bit more. So the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency last year issued drinking water health advisories for two of the most prevalent compounds, uh, PFOA and PFOS, in June 2022, warning that they pose health risks even at levels so low that the government can't detect them. So PFOA is, okay, bear with me, perfluoro-octanoic acid, and PFOS is perfluoro-octane sulfonate. 
Um, and those were in commercial use since the 40s. But according to cancer.org, those two chemicals are no longer made in the U.S. So these levels that, you know, the EPA is saying that there's advisories for them, they're for two of these forever chemicals that I guess allegedly aren't being manufactured anymore. So I'm wondering, well, what about all the ones that are still in use? Um, so this latest study, it tested for 32 different forever chemical compounds and that the advisories for those two specific compounds that aren't made anymore were ex the limits were exceeded in every sample that they were detected in. Uh, and it was a study where they were looking at over five years. Um, they collected samples over a five year period from 716 residences, businesses, drinking water treatment plants, and from a different range of environments like protected rural and urban areas. Um, so scientists estimate that there's a 75% chance that forever chemicals will be found in urban areas and a 25% chance in rural areas. So when y'all says 60, I guess, you know, we're in big cities, I guess where that was probably accurate or more than accurate for where we're at. Something that kind of pissed me off, like when reading about this was um, the EPA recommends if you're concerned to contact your state environmental agency or health department or local water utility to find out what they suggest. And you can also install specific kinds of water filters that are supposed to limit um, the levels of PFAS or forever chemicals in your water uh, using things like activated carbon treatment and reverse osmosis. In the older article, Arlene Blum, a biophysical chemist and executive director of the Green Science Policy Institute was saying that um, government regulation would force companies to take action but the responsibility also falls on the private sector to stop using the chemicals. Uh, she also said, which I agreed with, that the burden shouldn't fall on the shoulders of the consumer because these chemicals are hard to completely avoid. As always, like these types of things are a bit overwhelming, but I thought it was um, good to be aware of just how common these things are in our drinking water. Um, apparently they're in, they've been detected in most people's blood at this point. But um, what do you all think about this issue? Or does it change anything of what you, you're planning to do or any action you're going to take? Well, I definitely can notice it at this point. Um, like I said, because of all the different places I've been. Uh, it's weird when I see people out here drinking water from the tap because it's just like, you got to be kidding me. But I know a lot of places um, in Los Angeles that I've seen, they do offer like filtered tap water anywhere you go so that people can like refill their bottles. It is filtered. I'm not sure at what level. I know that at my job, they definitely have them throughout the building. So it's one of the things that's just like known not to do, but you know, people will be people and they do it anyway. Um, I personally can't do that. Because uh, I can taste it so much and it's just it just really bothers me. So I'm very aware of it. Um, but also like in New York, I used to boil water all the time, like drink it from the kettle, you know, like constantly. And it tasted better than it does out here. Even when I do that out here, it's still really weird. But 
we used to boil our water all the time and then just make it cold. Um, you know, leave it in the fridge once it chilled down and it didn't taste as bad. So I definitely can tell. And then I grew up, you know, obviously in the Midwest, the water didn't taste like that back then. I know that for sure. <laughs> that was a while ago, but it didn't taste as bad as it does today. Yeah, I feel like um, I've always been told, I guess, and like it's it's a thing that I think a lot of people know that like New York City's tap water is really great, I guess, like in compare, you know, like in comparison to other places like big cities. So I don't think like I mean, I typically like filter my water here anyway, but I don't think it necessarily is taking all of that stuff out, but it's probably better, I guess. But who knows if it's actually doing anything. But I, yeah, I remember like when I lived in LA, like that you you were kind of like cautioned not to drink the tap water there because it's like a lot more. I don't know what it had that was like more like worse, I guess. But it was just you. It was like emphasized to like drink filtered water, or, like put um one of those filter things on the pipe. But that I feel like if you're renting somewhere it's kind of dependent on the where you're renting like the building because it's not I don't think it's something that like individuals do because it's not like on the regular it's not on the faucet it's like the filter is like underneath um so I think like that's another thing it's like maybe not every building does that or like any you know like everywhere because I don't think there's like a law for it necessarily but I don't know I I've never, I I haven't, like, I know some people boil water to, like, uh, again, but I, I don't think I've, at least here in New York, I haven't noticed, like, any difference in the way that the water tastes, like, if it's coming from the pipe versus filtered, to be honest, like, it, it all pretty much, I think it does taste pretty okay <laughs> if we're going by taste, um, as opposed to, like, LA, for example, which is like, I guess the only other place I, I can compare it to. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of stuff where it's like, oh, it's just random that this person developed this cancer or this people are developing XYZ different conditions or like you see clusters in certain parts of the country of specific diseases. I wouldn't be shocked if it's directly linked to this, but it's kind of kept on the down low because it's just cheaper for them to keep putting these chemicals in everything. And it's um, this one writer, Kendra Pierre Lewis had a quiz that she wrote, like she's like a climate writer. And it was like, can you tell what's plastic and what's not? And so many other things that people are assuming like, oh, this isn't, this is recyclable. This doesn't have plastic in it. This doesn't have, and it was like, eh, wrong. Like it's coated with this or that like type of plastic adjacent type chemical thing. Like it's inescapable. You know, it's it's hard to feel like you have much agency over it unless you can make the government <laughs> actually step in because the businesses aren't going to just on their own stop using it if it's good for their bottom line like they're not going to care what type of problems it's causing i don't think many people realize that like some clothes is plastic basically or are plastic and so like a lot of things that you know from a lot of these like big 
fast fashion companies like their factories whenever they have like defective clothing or just like I don't know like a surplus of stuff they dump that stuff just in like in landfill so they're just like these whole areas um uh in certain countries that are just kind of filled with clothes and those things and that stuff will just never break down or like won't break down for another however many decades um so yeah it just reminded me that there there's a lot of like chemicals and plastics and things like that that are affecting the environment in kind of the everyday things that we use but we don't we don't we're not really paying attention we're for the most part i think we don't realize it or we're not paying attention to it it is messed up because like the people that are working in the sweatshops making that and inhaling it like that's affecting their health directly then it's washing up on their shores and everything you know, I don't really, I think like um, Dr. Bloom was saying in the article, it is a matter of stopping it at the source because there's only so much you can do just in your individual consumer choices. Like these things have to be completely shut down and changed because you can't have endless like cheap stuff like this and think that it's going to also be made in a way that's like good for the planet. Just think about all the places that don't even get natural clean water and everything they have to do to get it like i'm sure it's beyond you know um explanation in those areas but you know definitely be mindful people because a lot of this stuff is linked to other illnesses and diseases and you know i'm not saying it's preventable but if you can do something about it to help yourself it's important yeah for sure i mean i i think it's it's worth it if you can get involved in some advocacy trying to push for more regulations like because these people that are anti-regulation anti-government like they're trying to drag us all to hell in a handbasket like immediately because they don't think there should be any rules on anything ever but it's poisoning the planet and it's killing us so we need some bigger scale action um, if you're interested, there is a list of um, PFAS or Forever Chemical Free Products at P-F-A-S-C-E-N-T-R-A-L dot O-R-G forward slash P-F-A-S hyphen free hyphen products. Um, so that's, you know, just if you want to be more mindful of your own consumer habits, like where you can find, you know, it's not really going to help like with stuff that's already in the environment, but you don't have to contribute further to the problem unnecessarily by buying stuff that's full of it. Uh, so there's some options there. And that's again, pfascentral.org. Uh, you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our next song, this is Hella Good by No Doubt. We'll be right back.
you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, we have Reese with our world news story. All right. So information for this story came from an article on CNN.com. Um, the title is Toxic Gas Leak in South Africa Kills at Least 70 People, Including Children. And also another recap um, that is on The Guardian. And this one is titled Johannesburg Gas Leak, um, at least 16 dead in the outskirts of a South African city. So I pulled out a few bullet points for us to discuss this uh, topic. So this is the basics. At least 17 people have died from nitrate gas inhalation following a gas leak at an informal settlement camp in South Africa, according to the state media. A spokesperson for the Disaster of Emergency Management Services said the leak came from a gas cylinder containing nitrate oxide in an informal settlement of Booksburg, which is on the outskirts um, of Johannesburg. And the initial investigation indicated that the leak could be linked to illegal mining activity in the area. So just um, a little bit about the mining, illegal mining, mostly for gold, has remained rife in South Africa and cost the country millions of dollars each year. Uh, People known as Zamazamas, that's what they call them in the Zulu language, they make up thousands of illegal miners who swarm um, the area to get to the disused gold mines. Just under a third of all of the gold ever mined has come from Johannesburg's with water stand mines. Um, There are as many as 30,000 illegal miners working in South Africa, according to this report by the South African Human Rights Commission, and hundreds have died in mine shaft collapses, gas leaks, and battles between illegal miners and workers employed by mine owners. Um, The growth of illegal mining has been attributed to the country's high unemployment rate and the mining industry's collapse due to depleted reserves and a decline in the commodity prices, rising employment costs, and unreliable power supplies. So there's there's a strong history of uh, mining. You may have heard of the term blood diamonds and things of that nature, specifically in South Africa. Um, and people come from all over the world uh, to dig for gold, precious metals, diamonds. So there has been a history of this from the country um, way back, you know, pre-colonialism through colonialism. And at this point, um, you know, because of the dire needs that people have, there's pretty much anybody can go into these spaces and just start digging these massive holes that lead to all types of things. So um, the reality in this situation, not only were the miners affected, but other people who were around the area were affected by the gas and they are still looking for bodies that have not been claimed yet. This is really kind of hard to fathom for us because we don't see this type of thing happening. Um, but the reality is like this is this is real for many people. This, you know, this is their way of trying to get out of poverty. And it's really sad because it's, it's kind of, you know, a super desperate, especially they may not have the right equipment or safety or anything like that, but they know for a fact that it's there and they're just going to go start digging and try to figure it out. 
I just, I see stuff like these stories and I just think like, man, I just wish all of that shit was just straight up banned. Like we don't need these precious metals and diamonds and things like that. It's not necessary, but it's so much misery and pain with people trying to get to it. It's just, it's so heartbreaking and just, it's like, for what? Because somebody decided at some point that it meant something valuable. Like, that's terrible. Like, that's in such a nightmarish way for someone to die, especially a child. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's a really sad story. I feel like, I don't know, I guess I, I feel like I keep on thinking of that It's it's always... Or in my mind, it's because, like, it's happening in countries or, like, the people who have to do this work are people who are not, like, like, people who, the people who are looking for, like, these, who want these blood diamonds and all of that stuff, like, they're not thinking of the people, like, the human part of it, I guess, like, the people who who actually have to put their lives at risk to, like, in the minds, and, and it's because of, like, I guess the type of people, if that makes sense, like, or like where it's happening, like they're yeah. not, they're not connecting it. Cause I mean, it's not just like in mining, it's just kind of like in, in any other type of thing where, you know, in like poorer countries, they, you know, a lot of the, that work happens there and people are risking their lives every day there. Cause they have to work, like they have to, to survive. But then the end product, like whoever is consuming the end product is not thinking of, or I mean, they are thinking of it maybe, but they just don't care. So it's always just like sad. And I, and I agree, like I, I wish like this type of stuff would, um, I guess like not even be regulated more, but just like end because you're right. Like there are, there are other ways to get like the, that type of look like the diamond or whatever without like the human risk of it I think when I was doing a little research just about the mining industry in South Africa um, I don't know if either of you have been there but South Africa is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in the world and it just really made me think about the the long-term effects of colonization of this space um, and how so many countries across the world, but specifically within Africa, have never really had control over their natural, um, the things that they naturally produce. They've never really had an opportunity to fully benefit as a society um, from their natural resources because so many people are in pursuit of it, you know? And it's just really sad to know that even in 2023, you know, all these migrants are doing this because one, they have no other choices, you know, not, not to say that this is, you know, not to put blame on anyone. Obviously the problem here is poverty and desperation and uh, misappropriation of, you know, help and government funds and all type of shit that we can go down a rabbit hole on. But the reality is this is, you know, this is their daily life. This is what they do. And, um, you know, I was just thinking about the children who, you know, were affected by this, this could have been their parent going to trying to make ends meet, you know, but at the end of the day, actual people from South Africa and many other countries have not been able to um, 
extract the wealth of their natural resources. And this is not a thing of the past. This is a thing of today, um, which I think is important to to bring up because this is happening while we sitting here on our couches recording this episode. Uh, people are still digging for these blood diamonds. I mean, I don't, I'm with you, Jasmine. I don't think, you know, it's even necessary, honestly. It's just a lot of greed, desperation, and just people really uh, not thinking about the long-term effects of these issues. But what if, you know, the richness of Africa remained amongst Africans and they had these minds set up in the safest possible way to benefit their own economy and their own people? Um, you know, what what a world would that would be? I would say if it were, if it's possible to do it safely. Right. But I don't even know what that would look like because, and then on top of that, it's like, just because, you know, it's sad because it is like a legacy of colonialism, but there's also unethical leaders in Africa as well that maybe the wealth wouldn't be going to another country, but it might be going to, you know, the person leading the country and then not the people. But if what, if the conditions you're in themselves are like toxic and making you sick, I don't really know. Like, I would only think that would be good if it were a way where like you could honest to God, make it truly safe and regulated where it would be like a dignified, safe job. But with some of this stuff, like with the, I was just reading um, about how this Oppenheimer film is coming out about the atomic bomb. And a lot of people don't know about how that uranium came from a mine in the Congo. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it's like how many people died because of, you know, obviously the bomb itself was a, you know, war crime against humanity. But then the people, the black people that were suffering like under Belgium and other Western countries, like digging for this deadly stuff, like how many of them died? You know, and it's like, I don't know. It's just some of this shit, it's like, it's in the ground and it needs to stay on the ground. It's probably releasing all types of toxic gases and stuff like with this leak that happened and other stuff with fossil fuels. Like, I don't know. I feel like some stuff, like when it's agriculture or things people eat, I could see it. But some of the stuff where it's like the value is something artificial or it's harmful, I just think, you know, it would probably be better if it just didn't exist or like if it shifted to something else in their economy that's not harmful in and of itself, which it seems like some of this stuff is. Absolutely. I agree. I, I'm wondering, like, because I, I mean, I don't really know, but I, I do wonder, like, if there are safer ways to, in in those, like, in, in South Africa and, like, in other countries as well, in Africa, that, you know, where they are mining, like, are there any kind of, like, protective gear or anything that their governments can, you know, make sure that those people have in order to like to at least like make sure that they're they're trying to to keep them safe while they're doing that but like I don't know if that's actually happening um yeah but I I mean I don't know like I I do think like it I agree like it would be nice if you know like those resources are actually like going back into the countries and you know like benefiting the people but just across the board like a lot of leaders like government leaders are not are corrupt so i feel like who knows if they would actually be trying to like 
uplift the country, I guess. Yeah, or the people in the country. Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely um, a really hard concept to to think ideally about just because it's happened so many places and still happening today. But, you know, I don't know. I always think about how if, you know, if people actually could, and there, there has to be some safe practices to mining because it does happen all over. Uh, but in the same context, it seems like there's always a cost to the people who are from those communities or forced to do the work, which a lot of people are forced to do the work. So, um, you know, it's an interesting concept, but yeah, just interesting thoughts that so many things happen outside of the U.S. that it's hard for us to even fathom. But I guarantee you shit like this happens here too as well. Um, but I just hope that, you know, the families who are going through this trauma get some sort of help um, for what they're dealing with right now. And uh, yeah, just keeping them in my, my thoughts and my prayers. Yeah, and it does remind me, like I think in a lot of people's heads, the, these things are further back in the past in the United States history, but it's very much a thing like people that were coal mining and still do it you know and for a lot of people that was literally the only thing you could do in the whole town you know and was very dangerous and people had black lung and all of this and a lot of people are still working in those types of jobs and their health is destroyed and it's hard because it's like on the one hand i can understand culturally like if that's what your family's been doing for generations that's like the only thing in your town. I can understand being like defensive or being like, this is a part of your culture and your history. But at the same time, it's like, at the end of the day, like the practice in and of itself is damaging like the planet and also you. So it has to be like, there has to be a transition to some alternative type of energy or like some other way of generating value. Cause I don't think just continuing to do it because that's what's currently happening. I don't think in the long run, it's going to work out. Um, But yeah, I definitely agree. It's not right that all of this wealth is being extracted and the people aren't seeing any of it, but I'm, I'm not sure if, if the wealth were going back, but then the planet is still getting destroyed just a little more slowly. I don't know if it's in the end, if that would be the solution either, but it's a complex situation. It's no easy answer. So Reese, you have a good news story for us. Yes. So this um, article comes from the good news network. It's a July 4th article by Andy Corbley. And it's titled, Beautiful Homeless Shelters Get Radical Redesigns to Impact Residents. Um, Attempting to get a grip on the homeless epidemic, homeless shelters are making a conscious choice to employ trauma-informed designs to make those who are sheltering feel calm, more autonomous, and safe. So the article talks about the Path Home Family Village, which is in Portland, Oregon. And it's just got a redesign, uh, which cost $250,000, but it was all pro bono work that was donated to the center. Um, the family village is from an influential, uh, the money was donated to the family village from an influential nonprofit design, uh, not this, I'm sorry, let's try this again. The money was donated to the family village from an influential nonprofit design resource center for homelessness, uh, found by Jill Pable, a professor of Florida State University. 
Um, and so what they've gotten at this new redesign is natural bamboo wood roofs. Um, they have seafoam green and turquoise couches and areas that are lit up, uh, painted with gardens and flowers and really big windows so that they can see um, outside. This is all part of a trauma-informed design, one that uses science and close relations with the homeless to establish a set of best practices for shelter reconstruction. Um, so the idea is that these, this, uh, these shelters will help deal with the mental um, state of people who are in this condition by making them feel more accepted um, and being in a beautiful place to help on their path to recovery. And uh, the people who have worked on this one has also done one in Georgia, but I think it's a really great concept that um, will change the way that the unhoused look at themselves as well as the community will accept centers that help them. Okay, cool. Yeah, I do think that it's, you know, the way your environment looks does have a big impact on your mental health and other parts of how you go about your day to day. So that's great. Yeah, that's nice to hear. Yeah, I think a lot of homeless shelters just, you know, they don't, they're run down. There's not a lot of resources that go into them. So people don't want them in their communities and, you know, people don't want to be in them. So this concept that we can deal with it from a design standpoint and make them feel more warmed and welcomed, I think is definitely a good idea. Yeah, I'm sick of these drab, ugly looking buildings all over the place. Like, I, I think it's a plot by, you know, big gloom to make us all depressed. So yeah, I would not be surprised. We need yeah. more color and like variety and like everyone deserves that. It shouldn't just be people who can afford it, you know. Exactly. All right. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, we did a show. This has been Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, stay tuned for more community-based Brooklyn radio on the station. And to play us out, this is Outcast with the Art of Storytelling. We'll see you next week. Bye. Somebody hit me the other day for a rendezvous. Was it the bitch that fought the good and the dungeon crew? Let's say her name is Susie Screw, cause she screwed a lot. Making a nigga hit that chunk at legitimate spots. Not no parks, back seats, the things of that nature. Had to hate your player. I'm digging the whole down, never said I hate her. Straight later, slayed the bitch like Darth Vader. Made her from Collie Park and fed all the way down to the hater. Like Jada, her whip was sharp and sporty, that was shawty. Save with the snake on eggs and a beam of 840. It's foggy. I went to the crib to call her, but she lost me. My baby mama beat me, seven o'clock is gonna cost me. But I still wanna cut her dope. Maybe she had to work. I called her in the mall, wearing a real tight skirt. She was fine as fuck I wanted to sex the hoe up She said, let's hit the parking lot so I can sick your duck I said, cool, I really wanted to cut you But this will do, I gotta pick up my daughter Plus my baby mama beat me too She said she understood and everything was kosher I gave her a little wheel CD and a fucking poster It's like that now, it's like that now You better go and get the hoe up out your bag now It's about four, five cats off in my leg now We just shoot game in the form of story raps now it's like that now, it's like that now. Now, Susie Screw had a partner named Sasha. Sasha. Thumper. Thumper. 
I remember her number like the summer When her and Susie, yeah, they threw a slumber Party, but you can't call it that cause it was slumber Well, it was more like spending night Three in the morning, yawning, dancing under street lights We chilling like a feeling and a nigga feeling right In the middle of the ghetto, on the curb, but in spite All of the bullshit, we on our back staring at the stars above Talking about what we gonna be when we grow up I said, what you wanna be? She said, alive It made me think for a minute, then looked in the eyes I could have died, time went on I got grown, rhyme got strong, mind got blown I came back home to find little Sasha was gone Her mama said she would a nigga that be treating her wrong I kept on singing my song and hoping at a show That I would one day see her standing in the front row But two weeks later she got found in the back of a school With a needle in her arm, baby, too much do Sasha Thumper It's like that now, you better go get the hump about your back now It's about four, five, can't in my leg now Just shoot, game in the form of story raps now